You're listening to Further Faster in association with Montaigne, the podcast that asks ultra-athletes, mountaineers, and explorers the why and the how. Hello, and welcome to Further Faster in association with Montaigne. My name's Daniel Nielsen, and it's my job to sit down with ultra-athletes, mountaineers, and explorers to understand how and why they do what they do. In this episode, we're talking to a remarkable person, the expedition runner Jenny Tuff. And we say expedition runner, but it's hard to know really how to define the 30-year-old Canadian now living in Scotland. She's a runner, of course, but these days she's not racing so much. It's perhaps best to define her through a remarkable feats of endurance, running across the mountains of Kyrgyzstan for three weeks, solo and unsupported, for example. In this episode, we talk to Jenny about her most recent adventure, three weeks across the Bolivian Andes again entirely alone. We talk about how she comes the physical and psychological strains of running for so long on her own and we also talk about her training and recovery. But perhaps most interestingly we talk about the lives of the cultures who she crosses, the people who she speaks to on a daily basis. There's also some knitting chat. Jenny is great company, listen in. Okay so here I am with Jenny Tuff, Uh, welcome to Further Faster, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so so tell us where you are now. I am having a brief moment at home in Edinburgh. I just got back from a few weeks of speaking and that was just having come back from South America. So okay. I'm home for a brief laundry interval before I head off again. Okay, okay, okay. okay. So we... we met each other at the Kendall Mountain Festival, which was uh, what, a week or two, a week ago. Um, Last weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you, you'd just come back from Bolivia. So t- tell us what you were doing out there in Bolivia. I was running across the Bolivian Andes, uh, solo and unsupported, 17-day uh, running expedition. Okay, of course you were. What? Yeah. Um there's, a, there's an obvious question here, but um, why? <laughs> what, why was this? Is this part of a bigger project? I understand. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm on a global project right now to run across a mountain range on every continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was number three. I already ran across the Tian Shan and the Atlas. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and tell us a little bit about the Bolivian War. What? Why did? What? Whereabouts in Bolivia was it? And and, and, and how did you choose the route? So it was the Bolivian Andes, uh, which is the highest and hardest. So obviously I had to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and the route started basically on the Peruvian border and then followed uh, just, I mean, I didn't really have a route to speak of because not, I mean, one didn't exist. Yeah. Um, so I was just kind of making it up as I went with my compass and was speaking to locals mm-hmm. and just basically wandering and sometimes getting lost, sometimes going up trails that don't go. Uh, and I just followed all the highest peaks basically until I dropped down into the Yungas 17 days later. Okay. And so many questions. <laughs> uh, what, what, what was, I mean, let's start about the planning process. So you, this was, this was part of a larger challenge and you thought, Bolivia it's the you know that it's the highest part it's remote um what attracted you to this particular range was it just that it was this was sort of uh, the most difficult in South America yeah I guess I am an idiot that I do pick the hardest ones uh but the other one was the people so a big mm-hmm. love of mountains because I'm from the Canadian Rockies and mountains are just home for me yeah. so it came 
it started as something that I wanted to discover mountains around the world. But then as I started the project, it, it quickly shifted into something about the people that live in the mountains. And I think there's something about communities that live in really hostile environments just end up being the most hospitable people on this planet. So yeah. with the Bolivian Andes, I was really drawn to the fact that all the Pueblos were either Quechua or Aymara, the indigenous communities out there. So it was it was largely about wanting to meet them and wanting to see what life was like for them okay. in addition to putting myself up against the hardest mountains in South America and some of the hardest mountains in the world. Sure. And 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 actually, we, we've spoken about before, but I've been to this area of <laughs> Bolivia as well. So yeah, first person I met who actually knew the names of places that I said. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, just by coincidence. Um, and yeah, and, and can vouch for those, yeah, the, the hospitality of those people. But um, so do you, uh, on on the treks that you've uh, on on the runs that you've done so far, have you sort of dwell on this uh, kind of cultural aspect of it? Have you seen similarities between the mountain cultures, even though they're continents apart? Yeah, I mean the three the three continents I've done so far, they couldn't be more different cultures. So the nomads in the Tian Shan, the Berbers in the Atlas, mm-hmm. and the Quechua and Aymara in the Bolivian Andes. I mean, they're just they're so different, and the environments are so different, but uh, the similarities have just been this this willingness to meet me, to help me. You know, in all three of those uh, countries, I've just had people literally chasing me down trails just to check that I'm okay and check that I have enough water and ask if I need directions and invite me into their homes. So it's this this hospitality and this culture of um, you know living in really difficult places when you see someone wandering past, some crazy woman with a backpack. Um, it's just the way of life that you would just make sure that she's okay. And, you know, you don't get that in cities, mm-hmm. but you do get that in these remote environments. And that's just been such a lovely, heartwarming thing to discover. Sure. And was what, what I mean, what is the first reaction when they see you kind of running over a hill? Because no one knows that you're coming. No one knows that no. no one's there expecting you or kind of there's no checkpoints or anything like that. What do they just kind of. Uh, you're at definitely you a bit of a spectacle. Yeah, it's. It's, I mean, the same as your first question, why? Yeah. They look at you, they just go, what on earth? Um, but in Bolivia, it was it was always the exact same conversation. The first thing they would ask is, Solitas, are you alone? Mm-hmm. And when I would say yes to that, um, their face would almost drop. Uh, just their concern that I was out there alone. And then the next question would always be, no tienes miedo, are you not afraid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was always how every discussion started. And it was very clear that they were afraid for me and would always recommend that I didn't continue, that I didn't go to the next village. Because, yeah. you know, there's something about the next village, the neighbors. They're always the dangerous ones in the world, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And and did that did that kind of that fear transplant on you as well? Was it was it something that or you were just like, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I've done this before. Sorry. Hmm? Um. I thought I would go into it with a no, it's fine, I've done this before, I've, you know, a decade of traveling solo as a woman, you always get told that where you're going is dangerous, and you always get told that you can't go anywhere by yourself, as a woman especially, Um, but this time I don't really know what it was, but I really did let the fear creep in, Um, I mean, there was a lot against me, like, Bolivia has the worst record for violence against women in all South America, Yeah. I know South America and its attitudes towards women, and they're not not always that um, comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was 
uh, especially in the first few days of the run, I was basically going upstream into an important smuggler's route. Uh, the only crops you could grow up there were coca, so there is illegal activity around that. Yeah. So there was quite a lot that was swirling around in my mind. And then in the addition to all these people asking me, aren't you afraid? And this kind of, you know, you should be afraid. I got asked a lot if I was carrying a gun. Right. And it really upset them that I wasn't carrying a gun. Yeah. Everyone seemed to yeah. feel that that was the level that we were on. So it it definitely did play with me sometimes. I'd love to you know, be that explorer that can say, of course, I'm fearless, but it's not the truth. Of course, I was afraid. Sure. And, and did the... Uh, are you getting a bit of an echo here, Jenny? No? Are you okay? A little. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep going. <clears throat> we'll edit that. Um, do you wish you had a gun? <laughs> uh no, because I don't believe in guns, but I will admit that I did have a knife in my pocket the entire time. Right, right, right. And it was a really nice moment when I finally finished the run. I mean, you look forward to what it's going to be on the finish line, that, oh, you're going to get rid of your dirty clothes or you're going to get something nice to eat. But it was the best moment for me of finishing this run yeah. was putting my knife away and knowing that I was going to sleep without a knife in my pocket that night. Wow, wow, wow. Gosh, I hope your mum's not listening to this. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Oh, we shouldn't have recorded that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Um, so, so how do you deal with that fear? Uh, how? So, what, what? How does it manifest itself? First of all, is it just kind of suspicion of of other people, or is it just you know? How does it manifest I itself? I think it's your brain going wild. So I. I mean, especially when you're alone and especially when you're exhausted, which is going to happen pretty quickly on something like this, yeah. um, your brain can make up some things. So I do think that fear is important. Fear is something that your brain does to stop you from um, from running into danger. So when I do feel afraid, I always listen to it. Yeah. But the first thing is to decide whether this fear is rational. And on these big solo expeditions, you get a lot of irrational fears. I mean, that rustle outside your tent that you're sure is a lion coming to eat you, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the first thing to decide is this fear is irrational or it is rational. And if it's rational, you have to take action to keep yourself safe. Yeah. But if it's irrational, you have to find a way to overcome that. You have to find a way to put your backpack on and keep moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's the battle. I mean, I'm well practiced at it, but you know, it's still a battle. It's still something that you just sometimes have to suck it up and find some coping mechanisms to get yourself to just run through it and... And eventually you'll prove to yourself that you were wrong, that no one's murdered you and you're fine. But yeah. um, you do have to find a way to force yourself through it. I mean, in, in any of the runs, have you found yourself in kind of genuine danger or has it most been unfounded? Yeah, but they've all, they've mostly been my own mistakes, like my own navigational errors that have led to bad spots where, you know, I could fall and hurt myself okay. um, or I've been too isolated or out too long. But yeah. So they're more kind of environmental pressures than for the most part yeah, yeah. okay okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean this is i think this is what sets the kind of stuff that you do apart i mean there, there are there are ultra ultra runners who who you know the do the utmb um all, all these kind of organized races but what you're mm-hmm. doing is do, do having to deal with those endurance issues and having to deal with that you know, just running for, well, for you, on, on your part, days on end. Um, yeah. But what you add into that is this <laughs> almost fear of the unknown or or not a fear of the unknown, the unknown, you know, the the different, what, you know, do you, do you ever do 
kind of running races and organized races or is this your thing this is what you enjoy most um for some reason i've stopped racing running i do a little bit of um ultra distance cycling races but running i've I don't know if it's just too zen for me that I can't do it in a competitive way or maybe I've just done too much of these um, these adventures that are very much find your own way mm-hmm. that maybe I've just gone that way. But yeah, I've gone away from racing. I'll probably go back because um, I think because my runs have been so heavy on the other side, the finding the trail, the keeping yourself safe, keeping yourself healthy, yeah. um, the actual sport of running almost doesn't feature as much. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, it truthfully is the easiest part of these expeditions. I think people get really amazed that, you know, Kyrgyzstan was a thousand kilometers, but you know, the running is the easy part. I know how to run. I've been running for over 15 years. It's right, left, right, left. Yeah. You know, that's, it's almost the holiday from the really difficult challenge that I'm taking is the bits where I'm on a good trail and I know what to do and I'm just running. And that's the part that I can relax. It's the other stuff is just mentally taxing. Sure. I mean, so you were over it was was it 17 days you were out in Bolivia yeah I think for 17 days so how do you were were there moments when you when you were just kind of in bliss do you you know what I mean were were there moments when you just thought yes this is what I'm doing it this is what I love about it yeah I mean those mountains are just beyond stunning Mm -hmm. um and people were just they were so lovely and sometimes just completely hilarious. And, you know, I had so many great moments. And, you know, when you get to the top of a really, really difficult pass and the clouds cleared. So I had a lot of storms on this trip. So the <laughs> moments where I actually had a blue sky and I got to see the mountains that I came here for. Um, yeah, those are just and you feel so lucky. I mean, I am so lucky that I get to do this stuff, that I have the freedom that I'm able to travel to these countries that I have the health that can get me to the top of these passes. Yeah. You know, especially as, as a woman in this planet, I mean, I know that it's quite rare to have these things. And so, yeah, I just had these jaw dropping. Gosh, I'm so lucky. And that we still have this environment left. I was passing a lot of glaciers and just thinking to myself, I'm so lucky that I get to know glaciers that I get to see them. that I get to spend time um, before they're gone. Yeah. I mean, what, what was the idea behind doing the, this whole project in the first place so yeah, I mean you, you've been to Bolivia and, and you've done two other ranges you're doing you're going out somewhere soon aren't you um yeah uh, what, what, um, so, what what was it what what was the thing that just thought this is the one that I want to do or you know how did that I how did this idea kind of come <laughs> so it was always supposed to be a one-off that I was going to run across Kyrgyzstan yeah and that came from just purely my love of mountain environments that um like I don't really get homesick but I did really find that I so I've been living in Scotland for six years and I just found that I really miss the Rockies and whenever I'm in mountains I just feel really at peace and at home so I just decided to kind of test that and go to a mountain range I'd never heard of and I discovered the Tian Shan and just needed to go there so I decided to run across them because I very stupidly felt that cycling across them would just go too fast and I needed to slow it down <laughs> and and run across them you so I could walked. really absorb it. <laughs> yeah. No, I just don't have the patience for walking. <laughs> okay. Um, so I decided I would run and it was by far the hardest thing I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it took, you know, it was definitive type two fun. It took months to recover. And then months later, uh, one of my friends was up my flat visiting me and she said, oh, I've, I've never actually seen the film from your run. Can I watch it? Yeah. And I hadn't looked back on the trip for so long. Yeah. And when I finally looked back, having all that time to recover, 
um, I just saw what at the time had been really, really challenging. Yeah. Uh, I just looked at it and thought that was the most fun I've ever had. I need to do that again. Sure. Um, and I started looking at which mountain range I would run next and made a list that was basically all the mountains in the world. So I decided yeah. to to whittle that down to just one per continent. Okay. okay. And, and that's how I was born. Right. Okay. And, and I, I mean, on, on the Kyrgyzstan run, what we... Was it a kind of a, a, the physical recovery? Was it your body going right? We've run. How, I don't know how many. How many days was the Kyrgyzstan? Uh, twenty-three. Yeah. Was it your body just going? You've just run for twenty-three days. <laughs> you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Yeah, I think I did recovery really wrong on that one because it's it's really hard to go from this level where you're running like that. I mean, the last day I did in Kyrgyzstan was a 55 kilometer day and it was amazing. I ran it really hard and felt so good about myself. Yeah. Um, and it's really cool that you can actually tell your body for 23 days on end. If you just keep on going and keep on asking the body, it will keep delivering. But as soon as I stopped, as soon as it was over, um, I feel like my body really said no, we're in shutdown mode. Um, but mentally I couldn't accept that mentally. I still needed to be putting in these really big days. Mentally, I still really want to, feel strong like that again and keep running. So when I came back home, I kept on trying to push myself back into training Yeah. and my body couldn't cope. And I think that really delayed my recovery process. And then I, I really got hit by the post-adventure blues on that one. Right. Um, I think largely because I didn't have the next thing planned. So mm-hmm. we were coming into UK winter and I was just kind of, and then I didn't have the strength that I had only a few weeks ago. Right. So that was, that was mentally really difficult. And then physically I just didn't have... I mean, my legs were just empty. They were so dead. Right. Um, so I learned I learned a lot of lessons about recovery from that first one. Okay, so how, how are you doing it differently after this one? So I think it's really important to have the next thing planned so you have something to look forward to. So it's not like your big project or your big adventure. Once you finish it, if you don't know what's next, I think there can just be an empty hole there when your life is just revolved around something for so long. And these adventures are really intense when I'm out there. Yeah there's such a high level of intensity with um, not just the physical aspect of it, but the logistics. Um, so, so there can be an empty hole if you don't have the next thing planned. So first of all, I, I do have the next one planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one is just being a bit more forgiving of my body. And that one, I, I can't say I've mastered it. I find it really difficult. I mean, I would love to um, go out and run for two hours right now, but I just know that it wouldn't wouldn't go very well so it's just you know doing the yoga doing the recovery i'll make a date with my physiotherapist that kind of yeah sleeping sleeping's really good i'm really into sleep right now (laughs) (laughs) who'd have thought (laughs) thought that was good for you (laughs) and and so when you're age now (laughs) yeah apparently so i've forgotten what it feels like um what what the um so when you, what, I mean, when when are you going out for your next uh, next expedition? February. February. So okay. That gives me two months and a bit. Okay. Yeah. So when does um when does recovery stop and training start again? Uh, I don't have a specific date circled on my calendar. It's more listening to my body. So I'm going to get on my bike this weekend, and I think cycling will go quite well because different muscles or whatever. Um. So I'm going to start easing my way back in now mm-hmm. and just listen to my body. And just if it's not going very well, if my pace falls off, then, you know, just be forgiven of that and 
yeah and go so, back to sleep so, so, <laughs> fair enough so do you I mean what, what your training do you is it very much kind of uh yeah listening to your body or are you the kind of person who has a you know fitness watch and and records data and then analyzes that data What's, I'm um... horrified to say that I've turned into the person that has a fitness watch and records my data. I never was before. I used to just be very much about um, heading to the mountains. But mm-hmm. I mean, to achieve stuff at this level that I want to be running, you know, 30 to 50 kilometers a day for three weeks, yeah. um, you do need to, to take it a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Um, and especially because I split my time between running and cycling and want to do okay at both of them. So yeah, it keeps me honest to set targets and say, I'm going to run this many kilometers every month and I'm going to cycle this many kilometers and then mm-hmm. um, record that. Yeah, I'm absolutely ashamed of myself that I, I do that. But <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> what, what do you use? Just out of curiosity, what, what tools do you use for that? Uh, so I have a Sunto that's recording me and making sure that, like, it's got my heart rate. I don't mm-hmm. really know what I'm doing with heart rate training, but okay. I have it. Yeah. Um, and... There are a lot um, of people music. wincing right now. There are a lot of people who are kind of obsessing over uh, obsessing over heart rate monitors and things like that. We'll have to have the. Uh, I know, but I just yeah, I'm not not there yet. But I'm okay. recording the data. Who knows? Maybe one day it'll be important. Yeah. Uh, and I, <laughs> I think it would be an oh interesting God, study I... how how you can how you can keep it going yeah. for for that long. <laughs> maybe yeah, some maybe really some scientists out there, there who are <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make me a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I really, I just hate that I'm going to admit this, but I have a spreadsheet and I put in everything that I do every month, and that just kind of keeps me honest. Because otherwise, I'm a really lazy person. Yeah. If I don't set targets and I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> it's a different type of lazy. Trust me. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. If I don't set targets and say that I'm gonna do a bigger mileage month than last month, or right now it's it's a low mileage, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. If I don't do that, then I just won't do the work. I'm just, yeah, I'm just a lazy. So yeah, spreadsheets. spreadsheets. Everybody likes and, good and, graphs. And, and and is it that mileage that that is your is your kind of number it's, one variable? So mileage is number one because that's most important for getting these expeditions done. It doesn't matter how fast I do them, but mm-hmm. the distance is there. Yeah. Um, but also pace specifically with my running because I've just found that's the best indicator for me of my recovery. Because yeah. I might feel like I'm doing really well, but then if I look at my pace and it's really far uh, off what okay. my normal baseline is, then that's that for me is the best way to know that I'm not I'm not doing very well right now. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, and 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 where is it you're going? Is it- New Zealand, Southern Alps. Oh, okay, fantastic! Wow, have I you have been out in there my head before? That's just going to be easy. No, I've never been there, <laughs> but. I wonder. I, I'd be really interested. It'd be good to chat to you when you're when you're back to see. It's gonna look a spectacle. Know. I'm not gonna have that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's gonna. <laughs> um, but it'd be interesting to see what, like, the places that you've been are kind of you know developing countries, and it, you know the the. I mean, well, I mean, I've like I say, I've been to similar areas than as you did in Bolivia, and you know, a lot of places that you know there's no electricity and they till the farm. <laughs> by hand uh, New Zealand's not going to be like that at all it would be really interesting to kind of draw parallels between mountain cultures in you know yeah yeah so it's kind of an it kind of feels like an odd addition to this project that it is going to be in a in a wealthy part of the world yeah um but I mean that was the project was to go to every continent and so that's I mean those are the the best mountains in Oceania aren't they so yeah yeah um yeah it will be really interesting to see how those worlds 
uh, Clyde. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's go back. Uh, little little Jenny Tough brought up in little the Jenny. Uh, little Jenny um, brought up in, brought up <laughs> in the uh, cute. <laughs> uh, you know, brought up in the Canadian Rockies. I mean, what? Um, yeah, what? What were you always? Were you always running? <laughs> were you running before? No. Okay. No, I wasn't. I mean, I definitely spent a lot of time in the mountains. So I was quite. I was really lucky to be brought up in that part of the world and yeah. to have parents that um, did invest in us getting outside and learning outdoor skills. Mm-hmm. So I, I did have a love for the outdoors, yeah. but I did not have a love for sport and my body. So running started when I was a teenager, just because, really, just because I started getting chubby and that made me really upset because my classmates weren't. Right. Um, so I started running. Um, to lose weight and look better and it was a really negative start i hated myself when i was doing it yeah i hated that i had to do it um and it just really came from such a negative place it was a punishment really right right. um and it took a long time of doing that punishment before i started to it started the enjoyment started creeping in Mm -hmm. um i started realizing that days that i did this punishing activity i felt really amazing afterwards and that i could study better that i was more alert more creative Okay. Um, and then I moved away for university and I moved to Australia. And so being in a new part of the world, yeah. running was a great, great way to explore and to see my new city. And so then it became, it evolved into something about adventure. Okay. And that was more the priority. Okay. But yeah, it took time. So so kind of when you were running first, were you just, I mean, back in Canada, were you, were you just running track? Were you just kind of running on trails? What was it? What did that look like? Uh combination i mean started with running around my neighborhood so i had a golden retriever so she at least um committed me to doing cooler distances because golden's need a need a, a good run exercise yeah <laughs> yeah so we had kind of had the parks um i grew up in a in the suburbs of calgary so i had a lot of green space to explore on so that was mostly it was just parks that i bring my dog to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and then and then in australia when it began to get a bit more serious yeah and then I think I started proving to myself that I could do bigger distances. I remember when I did my first 10K, I was over the moon. I couldn't believe that someone like me could have accomplished a 10K because yeah. I just never identified as a fit person. Okay. How long ago was um, this? That was, I must have been 17 or 18 years old. Okay. And how old are you now? Um, you don't mind me asking? I'm 30 now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So ages ago. Yeah. Um, so I did that 10K and I mean, I was nearly in tears. I couldn't believe I'd done it. And mm-hmm. then eventually decided to do a half marathon and same thing like when I did that and I think I did it in 143 and I could not could not believe it I really I mean the confidence that I got from proving that to myself that I put in the work and that I ended up doing okay yeah um I was on such a buzz that of course I just went straight into a full marathon Mm -hmm. and did that and it wasn't probably until after all of that process, so that's years of running, getting through the 10K half and full marathon, that I finally started to identify as a runner and admit that I was a, that I was capable of yeah, this. Yeah. Um, started pushing myself. So, yeah, years of doing that kind of standard sign up for the races, do the training, until I started thinking a bit more creatively about running and what about doing my own thing and what about finding different places to run and and doing these projects sure and, and what was the first kind of uh expedition race or expedition run that you did 
Oh, it was Kyrgyzstan. I mean, I was oh, wow. okay. so unprepared. <laughs> a thousand kilometer run across a Central Asian country. That's where I started to... That's what I thought was a good beginner. And before that, what was the previous longest? <laughs> uh, I'd done some training training runs in the Highlands. Okay. Uh, like some a couple overnighters around the Highlands. So, you know, we're quite lucky mm-hmm. up here in Scotland that we do have so much space to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, nothing proper big <laughs> okay okay jump with both feet yeah quite right <laughs> um and and do you is it do you still get that same sense of achievement when you finished you know when you were back from Bolivia or was it was it massive relief or was it just being kind uh, of overwhelmingly it's only happy been about two weeks you... from Bolivia right <laughs> now it's really eh? just overwhelming relief okay I mean I think eventually I'll feel really proud of it because it was so hard yeah yeah um, but yeah I mean, there's no point in any of these where I feel like I've got this in the bag, that I can definitely do this, that mm-hmm. I'm the right woman for the job. Like, I still, there is still that chubby teenager in me that just thinks this is not for you. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not. You're Hello. Um, so yeah. for me, these are still really daunting challenges, and I just can't believe. I mean, even at the end of a day and I look at my watch and it says that I've done 48 kilometers, and like, really me? <laughs> right. I ran that far. <laughs> and and how do you? So you know you're running. Uh, well, how do you deal with being on your own first? I mean, you, you you're on your own for an awful lot of time. Uh, you know, I walk, hike, and, yeah. and and it is quite. You know, I I don't necessarily want to spend that long with myself. <laughs> Sometimes I'd rather <laughs> be with other people. You know, how, how do you deal with that kind of sense of being on your own? I mean. It's incomprehensible it's really for a lot of people for two days, let alone seven. 20 days. Yeah. I mean, our, the society and the culture that we live in doesn't value alone time, I think. No. So it is it is a really difficult thing. And I think when I started doing it, I realized I didn't have the tools for this because, uh, you know, a child and a teenager growing up through the school system, you will never be told to spend time alone. Everything is emphasis on teams and yeah. um, working together. So. I think it took time to build those tools, but I am a natural introvert, so it was a little bit easier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that quiet time is quite refreshing for me. Okay. Uh, but, you know, that, that has a limit, and sure. I think three weeks can be a bit much. So I kind of came up with this concept, because you're alone with your own head, and if yeah. things go negative, things start being really difficult. That's when it gets really hard and really dangerous, because you can make poor choices, you can yeah. have a hard time pulling yourself out of it. Um, so I came up with this concept of, just having to be the best expedition buddy that I wish I had brought. Because otherwise I can give myself some really hard, tough love and just say, you know, you're in pain because you're terrible. Just run harder or something like that. So I, and that doesn't help. You have to, you're alone out there. You have to fix your problems when they start, even if your problem is just your own mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd always think to myself, if I had a good expedition buddy with me, what would he or she say right now? Um, You know, and that's the person that would say, you know, you seem grumpy, maybe we should stop and have a snack or that blister's only going to get worse, let's stop and fix it. You know, those kind of things that you need someone there who's going to say that to you. So I would, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of conversations that go in, on between me, myself and I yeah, in my head okay. up there. Okay. Well, it has <laughs> to be, doesn't there? I mean, there's no... Yeah. And when did you, I mean, when did you... <laughs> okay, this is going to, you know... Anyway, when did you... When did you uh come up with this concept of you know the best expedition buddy was it in Kyrgyzstan was it you know was there a moment where you got so low and it was like 
Jenny, this isn't working. You know, what? How, um, how did that kind of develop? I think I came up with it through bike racing. So some of the ultra races I do, you can usually enter either as a pair or as a solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a solo, you can't have help from anyone yeah. at all. So even if you have a mechanical or whatever, no one can help you. Um, and so it would always be really difficult because you would see the pairs and they would have each other. Yeah. And you would see them talking through their problems together and just you'd feel like, oh, I don't have that. So I'm at a disadvantage. So I yeah. decided well, I've got a lot of voices in my head. Let's yeah. make make me a pair. And um, and just kind of came up with that because I know what the answers are. I mean, yeah. when you have a problem like that, you do know the answers. Just for some reason, you're deciding not to, to take them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, came up with this idea of bring that expedition, buddy, you wish you had brought. Sure. Okay. Um, and, and that idea of fixing your own problems. Yeah, that's something we, we chat about, you know, yeah. it's like you have no choice where you are yeah exactly it's only going to get worse um you have to fix it no one's going to come along no one's going to make this uh, this discomfort go away and I think that was really that was a really valuable lesson when I started doing big adventures when I was in my early 20s because a woman in her early 20s I think should learn that lesson of of fixing your own problems don't wait for someone to come along and and help you out because it's you know out there it's just not going to happen no sure sure and and how do you find adjusting back to you know obviously you came from Bolivia to the Kendall Mountain Festival <laughs> and, the oh, chaos and, and the, just the amount of people and everyone knows everybody and it's kind of loud and you know yeah I, was that was that a bit of a shock or were you just like oh, you, or, you, or were you just like the chattiest person I was like, I've got so many words to talk <laughs> to get out yeah I mean once I realized I could speak English out loud because I hadn't done it in a month that was yeah. kind of <laughs> First overwhelming and then really exciting that people understood me. Um, but it was also just not being a spectacle. I mean, for that long, everywhere I went, people were rushing onto the streets to meet me because I was an absolute spectacle. Yeah. And then I got to Kendall and everyone's in a puff jacket just like me. And, yeah. you know, you say, I've just run across the Bloody Andes. People go, oh, yeah, what route did you take? You yeah. know, it just seems like a really normal thing, just completely fit in. That's my tribe. So yeah. it was... I mean, it was definitely That's overwhelming. That's exactly I what I asked you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you did. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it was, it's a bit of a shock to the system, but then it's also really comforting to just come home to your tribe and not be a lone weirdo anymore. But, you know, there's a group of people who are also just as weird. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, a couple more questions. So do you enjoy the planning process of it? So you're you're, you're presumably be in the middle of, of you know, the... Yeah. this New Zealand run is it do you kind of relish that planning aspect do you enjoy pouring over maps do you enjoy you know yeah, sorting really your kit do. out and things I love a good map um mm-hmm. and this is the fun part because this is the imagination part this is when I just get to look at maps and just wonder what that lake is really going to look like is it going to be mm-hmm. really cold when I jump in yeah. um that part is really exciting because there's no suffering involved in this part. This no. is just a lot of cups of tea and leaning over maps and yeah, yeah. Um, making spreadsheets about my kit. And, yeah. you know, this part is, I find, really, really fun because it's just imagining mm-hmm. um, what's coming up. But eventually I do actually have too much of it and I just go, I can't look at this map anymore. I need to be there. Right. And then I just get really excited to to hit the ground and actually actually start. Yeah. And, and, and when you do start, what what's your... Do you have a daily routine? Are you quite fixed in what you do? Do you have the same for breakfast every morning? Do you go through 
yeah, any any kind of pre-start routines or you're a bit more? Yeah. Not really. I think go with the flow is the best way to survive something like this, where everything is going to be like that kind different of and everything is yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's so unpredictable. These things are just so unpredictable. Mountains are mean. They can give you different really different days. I mean, Bolivia had so many seasons within an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to be able to change with that. And I had a lot of issues with the route. So I had to be really flexible with what I was doing with my route. Yeah. Um, you don't know who you're going to find. I was often being invited to sleep in Pueblos. And then I was waking up to, um, you know, where I wanted to wake up at 5am and, and start running really hard. But you, you know, you have an obligation to socialize with these people who have given you hospitality. And that's yeah. the fun part. So sometimes I would just be having coffee until 10am instead of Mm-hmm. instead of running hard so yeah everything is really go with the flow um i do have bits of routine like the way that i pack my bag i do like to get up really early mm-hmm. uh, i like to start the day with some yoga right. but yeah i don't i don't get upset if things don't pan out to my exact routine sure and and are you do you carry the i mean obviously you have to pack incredibly light do you mm-hmm. is there any what are, are there any bits in your bag that um kind of little indulgences little treats yeah so my toque which is the canadian word for what you would call a bobble hat mm-hmm. i have to have a toque i can't have i don't know why i just can't have some ultralight little thing it has okay. to be a toque okay I, it's just it's not the comfort for me at the end of the day yeah um you know you get cold so fast because the sun is set and you've just been running all day so your mm-hmm. body's a little bit messed up yeah um yeah, for some reason, I spend the day looking forward to pulling my toque on. Really? So okay. <laughs> yeah. Is it it's the same one? Wall, I did, I, did you buy like 10 at the same time or exactly the same? <laughs> oh, it gets worse, Dan. I make them myself. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's part of my recovery process when I when I come home and I just, you know, I don't have my body and I can't do anything. It was, so you... I needed something to do with my hands that wasn't drinking wine. So I started knitting. <laughs> <laughs> okay all the same pattern so much on this podcast i don't know if we can release this this. is brilliant spreadsheets and knitting (laughs) it started cool didn't it just gone downhill it's okay we've had some uh yeah um but this is the best knitting your own knitting your own toque okay let's get into this are you do you knit from the same pattern do you kind of you know go free do you (laughs) have you got better were the first ones terrible oh yeah the first ones were really really bad um Yeah, I mean, same with cooking. I just can't follow recipes and patterns. I don't know why I can't, but I just can't. Right. So, uh, yeah, I do my own thing. I go pretty off-piste with them. Okay. But they started to look okay, I think. One of them was in an, in an edition of Sidetrack. So yes, I really, yeah, I remember. I didn't tell them, but yeah. I was really proud of that. <laughs> we didn't point it out, yeah. Sorry, I should say that. I, I work <laughs> on Sidetrack, too. Um, yeah, 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 I miss that, yeah. Um, but I, re- I, I, I do re- remember a big bobble hat. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Okay, okay, Two. okay. So, is that how many of you? So, you haven't really started knitting them since you've been back yet. I haven't. I just haven't been home long enough. Okay. But well, you've got a couple yeah. of months now. Yeah, Hold could make it. something decent by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. I, I can see in you a uh, toque line. Um, <laughs> tough toques. There you go. You can have that for free. Um, oh, boom. <laughs> um, and what, what about? How do you think other people see you? I mean, do, do you, is that kind of a factor in what you do? Do you aim to be, I mean, I find it incredibly inspirational and I'm sure hundreds and hundreds of other people do who read about these things in sidetracks or hear podcasts or, you know, the, the various other things that you write about and people you talk to. Um, is that part of it as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I do, I do really hope to inspire people to get outside and to travel this beautiful planet of ours and think about it differently. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that I think if people spent more time going outside, mm-hmm. if people traveled, if people um, took really good care of their bodies, I think there's so many problems in the world that we could save if people stopped, started doing these things. Yeah. Uh, I wish I was the person that's going to change the world, but I just don't have that brain inside my head. But what I can do is um, encourage people um, I think it's it's important to see people that aren't elite runners that can yeah. still still take on these challenges, and I think that that's important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that I can convince people to take on their big challenges because if people take on their big challenges, that's how we're going to start to save the world. Uh, and spending more time outside is only a good thing, right? Yep, for sure. I think that's a great place to stop. Um, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. It's been yeah inspirational and entertaining and we've learned about your knitting habit and your spreadsheet so that's also good <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, no. honestly you're gonna start getting requests for these hats hey <laughs> i'm sure yeah make that a side business yeah definitely definitely i mean uh, it'll take me a month to fill one order because i'm not a very good knitter that's okay that's that's the way things are going these days you know slow <laughs> slow and crafted <laughs> yeah um jenny thanks for your time i really appreciate it see i told you it was interesting a huge thanks to jenny and we wish you all the best in new zealand it should also be worth saying that on record she offered to knit me a hat so there you go i'm gonna hold you to it now and thanks to everyone for listening um if you feel like it please pop on to itunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a nice review Uh, In the meantime, we'll be back next month speaking to another athlete, explorer or mountaineer. Thanks for listening.